Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is the Doomsday Podcast. Uh, Matt Mosley. Ed Warner, Glenn Stretch Smith will be joining us in a little while with his uh, stretch marks and the grades that he has to deliver. And uh, Ed Warner, freshly back from AT&T Stadium, one of the few people allowed into the uh, – and also some fans. They had um, a new record, by the way, Ed, over 21,000 fans. That's a new COVID-era record for the Dallas Cowboys, and they got to see sort of a ho-hum game. I had zero doubts that Jerry Jones was going to set the early season pandemic attendance record. We know how important those attendance records are to him. Listen, I, I would say this. I've covered a tremendous number of Cowboys games at both ends of the spectrum. I thought I was covering the 1-15 team from 1989 in the first half and the 1993 team that <laughs> won a Super Bowl in the second half. I mean, the Cowboys had – Three lost fumbles in a span of 10 plays. They give the Falcons 20 points, first 20 points of the game off turnovers. They failed twice on fake punts and once on a two-point conversion. They got no takeaways from the Falcons. They never snapped the ball one time with the lead, and they win the game on Greg Zerline's uh, field goal from 46 yards on the final play, 40 to 39. <laughs> Let me get uh, here's here is the single most remarkable fact. Okay, you love my stats. Yeah, this is if I could pick one, and I, I'm going to give you a lot. It was a historic comeback. I'm going to give you a lot. This is the one. You ready for this? Yeah. The Falcons scored 39 points and had. No turnovers against the Cowboys. Since 1933, when turnovers were first tracked, a team scoring at least 39 points without turning the ball over went 440 to zero. There have been 441 such games in NFL history. The Cowboys are the first team to win in that situation. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> And they gave Boy, the game game ball to Mike McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> That's coaching right there. I, I, I guess it was. Um, I think you could make the argument that some of this happened uh, in spite of the coaching and the players somehow overcame some pretty poor coaching. <laughs> I think there was poor coaching on the other side. And, uh, Ed, as you might recall, the Atlanta Falcons are known – for one of the greatest collapses in NFL history. It happened in, in a Super Bowl, and uh, I assume you were there for that, and uh, it happened with an enormous uh, halftime lead. And here they were today, 19-point halftime lead. And for the even, even you know, Ed, when it got to the two-point game, right, 39-37, in my mind, I sort of thought – you know, I hate that this game's going to look so close because the Cowboys have been so horrible and they deserve to get killed. And and I and I and I, that was the thought I had. And then, of course, the uh, the 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 onside kick that we'll never forget. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the the Falcons choking away this lead. That's the biggest lead that they've lost. I think they were down. 20, they were ahead 28 to three in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. That game was in Houston. Uh, this game was in Arlington. So forgive the Falcons if they 
choose not to make an appearance the next time they're scheduled to play a game in the state of Texas because it just hasn't worked out for them. Um, yeah, and you, you talk about the onside kick that was recovered, the Greg Zerline onside kick, you know, recovered by C.J. Goodwin, the special teams captain who, oh, by the way, was involved in that incomplete pass when, when uh, they tried to fake the first fake punt, right? He was on the ground, poor pass. Thought it was a good route. I liked his route running on that. He was on the ground. He should have been on the ground. Anyway, so with the new onside kick rules, it's almost eliminated the onside kick as a, ta- as a successful tactic. Going into this game, teams were 11 for 111 on onside kick recoveries in the fourth quarter since the rules became what they are in 2018. That's a successful percentage rate of 9.9%. So we're really, with these numbers, starting to get a sense of just what an unlikely victory this was for the Cowboys. Now, I'm going to say this was the first time Mike McCarthy had coached um, at AT AT&T Stadium uh, for the Cowboys. He is now undefeated in five games as a head coach in the NFL at AT AT&T Stadium. And, and, and one of the things I said before the game, Matt, because I think we need to put this in context, is McCarthy has a reputation among NFL coaches for being able to create a competitive team every week using whatever personnel they have available. And, and to me, that was noteworthy and it, before the game and even more so now because while they certainly didn't play well and should have lost, they do have an NFL high nine players on injured reserve. That's four more than any other team in the league. And that doesn't even include Tyron Smith missing the game today with a neck injury. I mean, the Cowboys started two undrafted players, Brandon Knight and rookie Terrence Steele, at the tackle positions. Each of them had previously made exactly one NFL start. Steele's was last week. And yet Dak Prescott has a historic performance, overcoming being out of the game for two plays, for a possible concussion, uh, when he was hit by Deion Jones, who was flagged for a personal foul. And Dak in this game, despite not having his tackles, uh, didn't have his top three tackles. They're down to tackles number four and five on the depth chart. And Dak Prescott throws for over 400 yards and rushes for three touchdowns the first time in NFL history that's happened. So what a performance by a guy who – Last week was being questioned about their inability to win one-score games. In fact, he hadn't had a fourth-quarter drive longer than any starting quarterback in the league. Well, all of that uh, was put aside with his performance today. I guess so. I mean, I got to say, even when the numbers got way up there and and they were about to lose that game, I I had the thought, well, these feel kind of empty. Isn't it funny in that one moment? those numbers become like, oh, my gosh, this is great. He led them back and all of that. I mean, he did have some great plays, and he ran for the – I mean, you're right, first player NFL history. I mean, that's insane. And then I'll add one, uh, Ed, that you, I don't want to step on your statistical toes, but um, five 400-yard passing games tied for first in team history with one Tony Romo. And so um, it was remarkable. And I would say Dalton Schultz getting heavily involved in the passing game. I mean, there were some interesting things. Now, Ed, to go back a little bit earlier in the game, I I do think we have to think that the no live scrimmaging for the most part or trying to not – trying to keep everybody – no preseason games. I mean, we saw some major ball security issues. Dalton, Pollard. Zeke, and I know one was overturned, but I'm just saying, Dak not protecting the ball, trying to flip the ball out of there and having the fumble. So um, this was uh, – to, to win this game, I, I would say this is the most – I don't know what I would say. Is it the most undeserving win they've ever had? Is it the most improbable win they've ever had? I mean, Ed, you've been covering this team all the way back <clears throat> to the late 80s, early 90s. Is this, I mean, does is, is this really compare to anything in your mind? Uh, you know, just looking, watching the game, never had a sense that um, they were going to do what they did. Uh, like I said, they were two completely different teams, first half versus second half. Um, 
And you know what happened to them early in the game? I, I mean, they played a game last week and they they didn't have this issue. Um, so I and it's to me, it's not a coaching issue. To me, that's that's on the play, ball security's on the players, not on the coaches. So uh, and and Elliot said after the game that they just were flat. They weren't emotionally into it. Um, and, and I think that was demonstrated in their early game performance. I mean, r- really, though, they showed some resolve, obviously, and, and some resilience to be able to uh, withstand that, putting themselves behind as, as much as they did. And it, what was really surprising was, you know, the Falcons several times, the Cowboys would go score and, and cut a little bit out of this lead, and yet then the defense couldn't hold and couldn't get a stop, couldn't force a punt, couldn't create a short field turnover. I mean, they not only gave Atlanta all those points off turnovers early in the game, they also gave them two short fields going for it on their own 29 and 40 when they were behind. So, you know, if Atlanta had really maximized those opportunities, um, then the Cowboys wouldn't have had a chance to stay in the game. They, they only were able to stay in the game because the Falcons didn't convert all of those opportunities into touchdowns. And obviously, Julio Jones with that drop. Wow. Of a sure touchdown that might have clinched the game, you know, on a, on a pass from a wide receiver that was quarterback Beautiful. quality. And he's one of the great receivers ever. And I've seen him drop that kind of ball before when it's kind of over his head, over his shoulder, deep down the field. But, wow, what a moment that was. Uh, that really hurt the Falcons. Well, and then after that, I believe they had a fourth and two go to a fourth and seven for having too many uh, men in the huddle. Although I think on uh, uh, when they looked at that, Fox uh, (laughs) went to the uh, uh, director, Dean Blandino, you know, their Fox, the former uh, director of officiating in the NFL, and said that there were only 11 they counted, but uh, that apparently uh, Julio Jones – maybe when he got hurt or whatever, went to the wrong sideline. Now, not like mistakenly. I think he just stepped off on the uh, – and, and that is a violation. That's too many if you go to the wrong sideline. So that was a fascinating part of that game. Okay, tons to get to. Glenn Stretch-Smith's grades coming up in about uh, 10 minutes or so. Well, I'm acting like this is live radio, right, Ed? I do st- – Stretch and I do live radio every day. I mean, we're taping this. Moments after the game, moments after that emotional win. All right, I want to talk about my bookie. All right, Stretch saying he could join us right now. What the heck? Why don't we do it? Uh, My bookie, winning season returns at my bookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers at my bookie. Winning season means watching live sports, betting live sports, Rejoice. The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sunday, huge cash prizes. Get in on the action. Use the promo code DOOMSDAY and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this NFL season for your chance to win big. Use the promo code doomsday d-o-o-m-s-d-a-y and double your first deposit your winning season begins today only at my bookie all right uh ed lots to get to what i i did think of it stretch go ahead and unmute yourself he's standing by and uh we'll be able to uh we'll be able to jump on with us in a second um warner this was uh i mean it, it I, I, I think I sent out a tweet at some point that this was that double, Doomsday was going to have a double meaning. And I think you said something <laughs> back like, yes, that happens sometimes. Um, it, is, uh, uh, it, 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 it looked horrific, and the Cowboys somehow found a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing that I wanted to go back to was – what they were able to overcome not, uh, just in terms of personnel, right? You got, you're starting your fourth and fifth tackles, two guys who have combined for two stars, but man, I thought, and the numbers bear this out. I thought was so impressed with Dak's toughness, not, I mean, his mental tenacity, but just physically what he endured, you know, we mentioned getting hit uh, on a personal foul and, and had to leave the game for a couple snaps comes in and runs it in on the next play. Um, but if you just look at what what he ha- what happened 
uh, in terms of the pressure that he was under, he went five for seven for 111 yards in the second half after going six for 17 in the first six quarters of the season uh, while throwing under pressure. So to me, uh, that's quite a statement about the kind of player the Cowboys have at quarterback. And you mentioned Tony Romo earlier. You either mentioned him or referenced a stat about his 400-yard passing games. Uh, I think the concern has to be that this organization doesn't waste this great player's career like they did Romo's career uh, at quarterback. Boy, I, that, that, is, uh, that is interesting. A, a man who um, was taken later in the draft in the fourth round, Tony was undrafted, and so you're basically saying this gift from the heavens. It's happened twice now. Lightning struck twice. They can't waste this. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm warming up to it, Ed, but I don't have the same feelings about Dak's performance that you do. And I, and I don't know. It may be completely unfair because it's, it's like record-breaking. But for the whole time, I felt like it was just like going to not amount to anything because it was just like they were going to lose the game. There was no way to win that game. And so when they finally won the game, I'm still having trouble sort of changing my, <clears throat> my outlook on how he played today. Well, you, you definitely have to look at um, it through the prism of what the Falcons did last week. I mean, obviously, it's not a good defensive football team, and they lost, lost Tack McKinley, you know, their outside edge rusher, uh, Earl after the first quarter. But if you look, you know, Russell Wilson last week against the same Falcons defense completes 88% of his passes with four touchdowns and no tight window throws. The first time in five years that's happened in the NFL. So – yeah, clearly the Cowboys were not going against a great defense and clearly against a secondary that has real issues trying to cover. And the Cowboys are pretty good at wide receiver. You know, I, I mean, I think they had 200-yard uh, games out of the receivers today uh, between Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. And obviously, CeeDee Lamb made a couple of great plays. Uh, the tight ends were far more successful than I would have imagined. Um, the thing that really surprised me – with, with the t- offensive tackles being out of the game and the rush being what it was early on, that, that Kellen Moore didn't really ever seem to adjust and go to a quick game or, you know, use some screens, use some quick throws to the receivers in space. Um, they were all straight drop back uh, type throws. So I think that speaks to that they thought that they would be able to withstand the rush and they wanted a shot at the secondary. And ultimately, I think the Cowboys offense just – really wore the Falcons defense out. Yeah, I, it was interesting. I mean, there, were, there was one moment, a, a tight end, you referenced it. I was just like, wait, who is, remind me who that is again. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, they, they, and Schultz, he was, he stepped up. You got to hand it to him. That guy's been nothing more than kind of a blocker, H-back. We don't know, but I thought he played well. Now, a former tight end himself, uh, Ed, joining us now, Glenn Stretch-Smith. And isn't it fun, Ed? to do these things via Zoom where we can see stretch into the um, – you see behind him I saw a Cowboys helmet. I saw a University of Texas helmet. And so it's nice to be able to see that. Stretch, um, we like to go – if people love – last late, late, you know, last week you weren't able to join us. Probably my fault. But um, people have really missed your grades. Overall, though, um, is, is this – are you still just stunned – that they found a way to, to get this thing done? Uh, I am stunned. I'm, I'm stunned that – and I'm, there's so many different things that I'm stunned at. I'm stunned that uh, Atlanta decided to go for two, up 19. I'm still stunned that uh, Mike McCarthy si- decides to go for two, down nine late in the game, and he came out and tried to explain it. And you know what, I'm not – I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty good math guy, but when he said it was simple math, I mean, all of a sudden I find myself doing chism bop on the desk here where you do your knuckles, you thump three times, count your toes. I mean, I I don't know that anything I would say is simple math and getting me to understand what what that was all about. Ed, um, I would just say this. Now, this is a new thing in both the NFL and college football is that when you're down by nine in that standpoint, rather than wait and put yourself in a situation later in a game where you got to tie the game, 
they want to go ahead and knock it out and try to get the two. We're seeing it happen more and more. I would say it's overthinking it. But, Ed, back to your point last week about McCarthy, it might have something to do with all the analytical work he's done. I, I, I think more and more coaches are doing what he did today. Well, the Falcons went for it on fourth down in this game, and they went for it on fourth down four times last week, uh, playing from behind like the Cowboys were. I don't know what the analytics are on, on attempting a fourth down fake punt from your own 29 when you're down double digits like the Cowboys were, or trying it again from the 40 uh, when you're still down double digits. Uh, but the two-point conversion is an analytics-supported decision. And here's, here's how it was explained to me. When you're down 15, you go for two because you're better off to find out if you're going to be down by one score or two scores immediately so that you can make decisions accordingly going forward. So the sooner you know if you're playing a two-possession game or a one-possession game, the better off you are strategically because you have more time then to implement whatever the necessary strategy is based on whether you succeed or fail on the two-point conversion. I don't right. agree with it, by the way. Yeah, uh, I, think it's, I think a lot of the things that Mike has done, including last week against the Rams, turning down a field goal, uh, that would have tied in the fourth quarter on the road doesn't make sense. A lot of this is illogical, I think, um, but I'm just giving you the analytical point of view, and I know that's something that Mike believes in to some degree. Now, Jerry, interestingly enough, does not. Jerry doesn't believe in analytics at all. In fact, when he was asked about it last year, he said something to the effect of, I think all of the analytics would tell you that most of the Big decisions I've made in my life, I should have made the other way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, the only thing, Ed, that I would say to that is they, they have a casino host out in Las Vegas, and they send their airplanes to pick you up to get you out there to use that exact, that exact line of thought. And right now, they are broke. I promise you, for both those guys right there, Steve Wynn is trying to get the jet in the air to both and Dallas to pick those two guys up. <laughs> and, and bankrupt them in, at the tables. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, Doomsday Podcast continues. Right, let's, let's start rolling through the grades, but I want to start where you used to beat up Jason Garrett, in, in, in the, the special teams area. We were told John Fossil, he's a kind of an interesting guy, son of a coach, son of a former head coach at Jim Fossil. I, He's a, he's a colorful character, I, and he's, he's, he's had a good reputation over the years. But, boy, some weirdness. We saw some weirdness, although at the end, and probably the uh, – obviously the onside kick, what would you uh, – get? what grade would you give them, Stretch, and how would you break down those, uh, those, uh, those fake punt calls? Well, initially, you know, bringing the ball out eight yards deep is never – again, guys, that's – the, the, the numbers don't support you getting the ball to the 25-yard line when you're, when you're bringing it from that deep. So initially, Pollard was bringing that ball out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing? Now, at the time of the game that they decide to throw that hitch out there, like Ed was talking about, I, I mean, I, I guess that you're getting a certain uh, press look outside on your gunner. Uh, during that time, again, the timing of the game, that – I mean, all I can do is equate it to what I feel like is a gambling situation, which is when the guy at third base on a blackjack table stands on 16 with the dealer showing a 10, you pick your chips up and you get the hell out of there because, you know, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. And yeah. it, 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 it felt like that with that the timing of that call and when it happened in the game. I also felt like, you know, that the same way when they – it was fourth and four – Instead of leaving the offense on the field, you're, you're going to try to snap the ball to your, to your up back. Now, if, if you've game planned that and during the week they've shown you a certain, uh, you know, a certain look that you feel like you could do that, but I'm looking at the game and it looked like they were in safe defense and you saw both linebackers press into the gaps and, and, and I mean, they didn't pick that up. So I, I just didn't like the call and, and, and more than that, I didn't like the timing of the call, but – you know, it, it, they, they gamble, and, and, and uh, 
it's obvious they're not afraid to they're not afraid to call it. Is that something you want to put on film early in the year that you give other coaches a chance to look at? I, I, I have no idea. For forever, Fossil when he was in when he was in Los Angeles, I mean, he wasn't afraid to, to, to snap the ball to his punter and pick it up and throw that hitch out there. So that's that's not something he's you know that, that, that's foreign to him. But he had Johnny Hecker, who actually uh, has completed a lot of passes. He has a very high career. passer rating, in fact, maybe higher than Jared Goff. <laughs> yes, Hecker. I'm yes. serious. I'm oh, serious. I know. I, yeah. I know. I, the guy's the guy's really <clears throat> good, and I'm thinking he spoiled uh, John Fossil because uh, that Chris Jones threw a little duck out there, barely even didn't even get it there. Okay, let's look. Let's run through some of the different parts of the game. The uh, the, the defensive uh, backs look lost at times. Um, the uh, Diggs did make a nice play on the ball in the end zone, but he got burned a lot. I thought, you know, he did, they did let the guys get behind him. They, they, they just there – were, there were Falcons running free, especially in the first half, constantly. Um, what'd you think about that secondary? Well, I'm, 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 guys, they'll, they'll fix – they'll clean up the issues with – you know, where you get a full flow one way and the tight end going the other, they were able to hit Hurst on that. Does it concern me? Yes, concerns me. Uh, when you miss Heath, guys, you know, a guy that used to get the secondary lined up, you're trying to replace him. I, I, I see an upside with Diggs. I, I, I look at it and I see him making plays. I see him show a burst to close the cushion. There's, there's things there that, to me, turn the arrow up. The concerning thing I have is a Wouzier, guys. When he can't, when he can't stay with what feels like about a 65 or 75 percent Julio Jones with the strained hamstring and the issues that he had, I, I, I'm concerned with the Wouzier. I want to see Jordan Lewis get more playing time. I think he's a better cover guy, I, I, and because of that, I mean, I've, I've got some real issues with the secondary. I think this is going to be the Achilles heel of this football team. Uh, Ed talked early in the podcast about the tackles being down, and we'll get to that. But right now, uh, aside from Brown being out, I mean, this secondary that, that you're seeing right now, that, that's what you're going to get. And I, I think they've really, got to, they've really got their work cut out for them, and they've got to clean up this situation. And at best, I give this secondary a D. Ooh, wow, the D. Handed out to the secondary. I can't wait to see what the defensive line gets then. <laughs> well, let me, let's, let me tell you now that now, now that you're hot and you're you're, you're going to get you're going to draw me off sides with this. I, I I do think I do see some things with Tristan Hill, but fellas, let me tell you something, and I and I'm gonna I'll probably take some heat for this. Don Terry Poe gets his ass rolled out of there more than anybody I've seen in a long time. Now keep in mind. They've changed the stances of these guys. They've squared their stances up. They wanted them to be more two-gap guys. They feel like they were going to move Vander Esch to, to Mike Linebacker, and they wanted two inside tackles to take up the two guards in the center. They didn't want a free-release player getting to the second level. And, and in theory, that looks great when you have the chalk. The problem is when the other guy gets the chalk, and they're knocking your ass back off the ball four or five yards, and it doesn't matter whether he gets a free release or not, all of a sudden the defensive tackle is in your lap. That's an issue. Defensive line-wise, they, they, they almost look like they're tr just trying to get comfortable in a stance. They've changed the stance of the ends. Sometimes they're in a two. Sometimes they're in a three. Obviously, they, talk, they talked about that today on the, on the broadcast. That'll all get worked out. The more concerning thing to me, guys, is the two inside guys. Those inside guys have got to become anchors and can't get knocked back into the linebacker level. Because I see some upside in Tristan Hill, that's the only reason I'm going to give that bunch of D as well. Oh, wow. D, <laughs> D for the secondary, D for the defensive line. Let's hit the linebackers. Uh, I – I saw one of those plays. Ed may have referenced it to throw to the tight end, or maybe you did stretch the. Uh, he got he got caught in some of that trash, but I got to say, Jalen Smith sometimes to me still doesn't look like he's running that fast. I don't know if he's hampered by something. Who knows? What did you make of the linebackers? Well, and he, and he does struggle a little bit in coverage. I mean, he's more of a he's more of a downhill player. I and and I really, guys, I tell you something. I'm really. 
I really see upside in Joe Thomas. I mean, he, he does some things that, that you know, kind of make me sit back and think, now, now that's how you want to see the position played. I think Jalen at times, he, he gets lost in coverage. I think he has a hard time uh, going all the way across the field and really being able to stay with a tight end that can run. And so, you know, that, that's something they've got to get cleaned up. They're going to have to – they're going to have to try to, you know, mix their coverages up, try to get their safeties down in there to, to, to play these tight ends as the season goes on. But because of Joe Thomas and some of the things that I saw out of him, I, I'm, giving that, I'm giving that group a B. I want a follow-up question there, uh, Stretch. So one of the interesting things that Mike Nolan, the new defensive coordinator, did in the offseason was he moved Leighton Van Der Esch inside, which I thought was a questionable move just because of his – his physical issues, right? Uh, I mean, he's, a, he's an incredible athlete when he's healthy. But you're talking about a guy who's got spinal stenosis, who's coming off neck surgery, and now, of course, after a couple possessions in week one, now he's got a fractured collarbone and he's out again. And then Jalen, you're moving him outside, and aren't you putting him in a position where he's got to play in space more and cover, and those aren't really his strengths since he suffered that knee injury at Notre Dame? And you're right with Jalen. Here's what I'll say, Ed, with Lake. And, 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 and we know he is a sideline-to-sideline side guy. I mean, he, his strength is his length, and he can run. You would agree with me there, correct? Yep, yep. Okay, so, so follow me here. And this is where I, I – you know, sometimes it's uh, – I get to talking too much about – techniques and those kind of things. And, and, and Dale Hansen said, oh, you've got to keep Martha engaged. Bob's going to watch. Well, Martha's going to have to step out of here. In, in, in this situation, when you, when you square those guys' stances up down inside, you square those defensive tackles, instead of staggering them where Rod Marinelli had them blowing up the field and getting penetration, now those guys are more staggered stance guys. And, and when you say uh, Van Der Esch had, you know, he had issues taking that lead block on. Well, when you got him down inside, if you're two inside guys, your your two eye, your your three technique, you know, if they're playing the way they should be playing, which is all you got to do is anchor and keep from pre-releasing the linebacker to the second level, that allows him the ability to to be that kind of that angle player and be more of a downhill player. I believe that's what they were thinking I haven't been over there and I haven't talked to them I just again I go on what I see and how I see them coaching and what they're doing to get uh, techniques accomplished but right now with him out and and then like I said I mean Don Terry Poe I mean he's he, he's just a guy that's in there right now I, I I would be surprised if they're not looking for someone else that can get in there and anchor in that situation it is a tough situation but to answer your question, I think they're wanting – in theory and schematically, they're wanting those two big defensive tackles to play the center and the two guards. So that allows them some, some ability to free uh, a release and be able to get uh, Van Der Esch, you know, on the edge and scraping outside of those guards. So Van Der Esch is a great athlete, so you want him in the middle of your defense so he can get to a play on the right side or a play on the left side with equal ease, but the, the, uh, the defensive tackles have to keep the guards and the centers from getting to the second level and taking him on. you got to keep 100%. him clean, clean, right, okay. 100%. That's, that's exactly what they have to do. Oh, goodness. We just almost lost to Ed. There he's, he's back. Had to do a little James Brown turnaround right there in his office chair. Good gracious. All right, buddy. I mean, I've never seen a man just kind of just <laughs> he came, almost. He came, came unplugged. His foot came off the ground. It looked like he was hanging 10 right there. Wow. <laughs> all right, Ed. I hope you're all right, buddy. All good, buddy. All right, okay. Good. All right. Let's slip over to the offensive side of the ball. And let's start with the offensive line. Those tackles, they were – they were down oh, three tackles, as Ed noted. I mean, they, um, and both starting tackles. You got uh, Brandon Knight out there. You got Brandon Still. Got a bunch of Brandons involved. Or is it Brand what was this? What's Still's name? Terrence Still. Sorry. Um, what is the? Uh, what did you make of that offensive line? Well, and, and here's the thing, guys. And 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 I know you both of you understand this. When those guys are able to line up wide. 
I'm saying those defensive ends. They get out there almost in a seven technique outside, all the way outside of your body. And as an offensive lineman, you don't have the experience. You don't have the – you know, you're, you're not able to understand those angles and cut that down. It really that, – that's a tough job. I'm telling you, it's one of the toughest jobs there is. And two years ago or whenever they had to go in and, and play Atlanta up there, and, and you know, that – I think it was Claiborne hadn't had a sack, and he had like six sacks. I mean, it was – Against they, Chaz Green, yeah. Yeah, they were lining up so wide – and, and they did that today. And, you know, I didn't think either one of those guys did really bad. I mean, I, I thought it was almost they, they stayed in there and they fought. Now they, you know, I, I, Dallas did a nice job of releasing, you know, allowing a, a Zeke to help on both sides when those guys were wide and, and, and chip on those guys. So that, that, that didn't bother me at all. I, I, I thought they did really a, a pretty decent job, all things considering. Now, inside um, – you know, that's the strength of this team. I think Connor Williams still is trying to get his – trying to understand how to anchor and, and, and how to keep that bull rush from running him right over, and I think he'll continue to get better there. Uh, Looney is a good player, and we know we've gotten Zach Martin. So, I thought this team hung in there and battled on the offensive line and, and, and did you what felt like a really – a workmanlike job, and, and, and I gave this group a B. Okay. B for the offensive line. Let's do the wide receivers and tight ends, uh, two 100-yard receivers. And then Gallup obviously made a couple of really big plays. What, would you, uh, what, would you, uh, what was your assessment of that group? You know, I'm going to start with the tight ends, and I'm going to say I was, I was openly critical when they, when they picked Schultz. I thought he, he was, you know, kind of, a, kind of a light in the rear end guy. I didn't think he was really going to be able to uh, come to this level and do what he needed to do um, from a block in the in-man line of scrimmage. Uh, he's obviously been in a now been in an NFL weight program, and, and he's gotten himself much stronger. He's a, he's a decent route runner. I, I thought he's really good with his feet, really understanding. I'm 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 going to say that Jason Witten really helped this young man, and you can tell that because of how he is able to sit down in zone looks, and, and he's got a he's got a pretty good connection with the quarterback and then I was impressed with uh, with Blake Bell I mean the former Oklahoma quarterback who is big and physical and and, and not afraid to you know get down the field vertical I I gave that you know I, I thought that group got got to be as well now the, the receivers to me I thought did an outstanding job I think this group of receivers is where the strength of this football team is I'm seeing guys press the field vertically and do some things that I haven't seen in a long time now Early in the game, uh, they weren't able to get to that. But And obviously, the great catch that Amari made on the post right there uh, was an unbelievable play. Gallup made an unbelievable play. This is the strength of the football team. And, and other than C.D. missing that block out there when they ran that little trips look and tried to throw the screen uh, out there to Zeke, I mean, I, I, I gave this group an A. I, I, I thought they did an outstanding job. Nice, nice. A for the wide receivers. And, and tight ends. Um, Yep, yep, a, a really strong group there. And then also, uh, let's look at the quarterback. Um, you know, I obviously didn't take care of the ball that one time. That was a strange play early. Ends up putting up enormous numbers, showed toughness coming back from uh, that brief injury there. What was your uh, – what did you think about his play? You know, I, he, he continues to do things that you just go, wow, I – that's awesome. And then he'll do some things that you just – it leaves you kind of shaking your head. And, and it's – and in some ways, I, I sit back and I feel at times unfair with, with how I grade him because of my point of reference for, for, for Aikman. And, and he's – you know, I mean, we're talking about a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, and I know, you know, he was – Aikman was a machine. Had Aikman had that post route, that would have been a touchdown. I mean, Amari would have never had to reach and extend to go catch that. Uh, he does – I think he is the leader of this football team. I, I'm still puzzled week to week, guys, about how much can you really pay this guy because, again, he'll make one or two throws in the game that – you know, he doesn't set his feet or something will, you know, something will be able to, to 
to make you just kind of scratch your head and wonder. And then you look at his numbers and you go, golly, I mean, how can you be any better than that? So I, I, I really think it's, it's really puzzling for me to, to try to grade, to, to, to grade him. I mean, I think he's a heck of a football player. I think he is tough. I think he's got great leadership qualities. I, I give him all that. I just wish that he was, you know, that he was more consistent with where he puts the football. You know, last week, I, I didn't, wasn't able to jump on with you guys, but I mean, on the fourth down, if he lays it, if he lays that zero out in front of CD, I, I, I think that would have been a, I think that would have been a first down. There were time, there was a swing last week that he threw to Zeke that if he sticks it right on his face, looked like about a 20-yard gain. He put it back on his hip, and it turned out to be about a six-yard gain. There's just some things that, and, and again, I'm, I could be unfair digging him for this. I, I could have an unrealistic uh, point of view because of Troy and because of what I saw him do for my time in the Cowboys, but, uh, you know, I gave him, I, I gave him a B plus. I mean, I, I saw it was a solid all-around effort. Before we get to the running backs, I would just want to say, like, didn't, didn't Dak Prescott just do everything everybody always wants him to do in terms of, you know, you're down some guys, you gotta, you're playing from behind, and you're part of the reason you're playing from behind, just like Aikman was in that NFC Championship game in San Francisco, which was, I think he considers the greatest game he ever played, and he lost that game. But they were down 21 nothing early under the 49ers and, and made this valiant comeback and almost won the game. But uh, Dak did that today, overcame all the turnovers, the big deficit, the personnel that was missing, both his tackles. And, like, he gave everybody the first reason to believe, to me. Like, he elevated everybody's level of play in this game. Yeah, I, I, and, and Ed, I'm, you're not going to get any argument out of me. I guess I'm just saying that there, you know, when you want to, when you want to say great, and you want to say wow, you want to, it, it, it just he'll have that one or two throws that 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 keep you from that keep you from standing up and going, yeah, is that great? So I, you know, I, I hope he continues to grow in this in this offense and this scheme. And right now he's going to have two guys because they're going to have to outscore people. This defense is, I, I, I think they can clean some things up, but are they, are they going to start getting a bunch of turnovers and getting a bunch of sacks and, 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 and looking like the 85 bear? No, they're not. But today, Dak Prescott in the second half, 312 yards passing, three rushing touchdowns and a passing touchdown with his team coming from behind. Pretty impressive. I, I, you, won't, you, won't, you won't get any argument out of me. I, 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 I mean, I, he's trying to talk you into getting him up to an A, and you need to hold <laughs> your ground. And I'm not great. No, Ed knows I'm not great on the curve. he got to be right. plus. Good for him. Right. Aikman right. starts uh, with an A, and he's the only quarterback who gets one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, running back, uh, Zeke, and, uh, hey, and he, obviously Pollard. Yeah, he's Zeke is so powerful, guys. Golly, does he? I mean, he does some things that he punishes people. I mean, that that first touchdown run, he he and, and he and he does a great job finishes runs. Here's here's what I'm going to tell you that I love about Zeke is how he blocks, how he protects, what he understands in the offense, how he gets out and is able to get the ball leaked down to him at times. Pollard, I you know just kind of. He didn't really do much today. I was so frustrated with him for bringing the ball out on special teams. It was hard for me to even grasp wanting to give him a, a, a very good grade. But I, I, Zeke was Zeke did a great job, and, and, and I'm giving him a B-plus for the job that he did. Pollard's hurting himself in his quest for more playing time with not only what you described on special teams, poor decision-making coming out and putting his team in a bad situation field position-wise, but to fumble in the game like he did too. Now, it was called a fumble on the field and replay overturned it. But in the minds of the coaches, that's a fumble. And that diminishes their trust in him, and that's why he had two touches today. Well, and, and, and you make a great point, Ed, but I think in summation here, here's kind of what I've seen the first two games. I've seen last week a quarter and a half, this week a quarter and a half, of what felt like preseason football. It felt like no contact practice football. And when, you, when you're doing that and you put your team behind in those kind of situations, 
they, they've got to get that worked out. And the only way that gets worked out, guys, is to, is to quite frankly, you know, play games and to go through it. And with no preseason and as little contact as they had, I, I, I think those are uh, mistakes that you're going to have. And hopefully they, they've got that clear, you know, that, that, that'll, get that, that'll get cleared up after, you know, playing these two live games. Most before we set him up on the coaching and the anti-Jason Garrett coach that Mike McCarthy has proven to be, uh, I, I don't, I'm sure you've had this experience. Stretch may not be familiar with it, but, you know, writers, you're sitting there, you're watching the first half of this game, and it's so one-sided. And one team is the Cowboys failing so miserably. You start coming up with story ideas, start writing your story, at least formulating your thoughts. And one of the ones I had at halftime was, what if Jason Garrett wasn't the problem? Like – what if the players are the problem, you know? And so we've seen Mike take a lot of chances in these first two games, and none of them have worked out. He's failed on every single gamble he's taken, five in all, right? Uh, yeah, he, yeah, and that's – and that's He didn't kick the field goal in L.A. on fourth down. He had two fake punts today. He had a two-point conversion today. What was the other thing he did? Anyway, um, so what's your, what's your grade for the coach? My grade for the coach is, uh, golly, boys, you're, you're a bad gambler. And that, that, that would be my first uh, – the first thing I'd say is you're a really bad gambler. You ought to – I mean, again, you know, you talk about risk-reward in these situations. And, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm having to really struggle with – he got an F. That was terrible for crying out <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Here's oh why. Because they really did win despite themselves in this game and despite some of the decisions that, that, that Mike made that did, didn't have the right risk-reward balance. And, you know, at one point, I mean, uh, there were the, we're talking about analytics. Well, the, the Falcons had a 99.9% win probability according to ESPN metrics, when the Cowboys started the possession, trailing 39 to 30 with 257 left. In the last three minutes of the game, the Cowboys had a 0.00 chance of winning the game. I thought that was, I thought that was Otter's GPA in Animal House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, I, I, I'm telling you, that's one of the strangest games. I mean, I watched the game by myself. I'm, I'm, I mean, I had full conversations sitting there going, what in the wide world of sports is going on here? And, and, and you know what? There's no way you can explain it. Like Ed said, he's got, he's got all that analytical stuff. But the last I checked, I think there's one team that's winning in analytics, and that's the Oakland A's. I think the rest of them are all trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, that certainly they were uh, early to the game. A lot of people have tried. Stretch, great work from you. Uh, you can see Stretch tonight on Del Hansen's sports special, WFAA. That's uh, Channel 8 for people in the Dallas area. And uh, they can all, you can also look them up on WFAA.com. Really appreciate you, Stretch. Thanks for uh, – great to have you back this week. Hey, guys. We're asking about you, Stretch. I'm glad, we, I'm glad you ended your holdout and you and Mosley were able to resolve the pay dispute. And we're able to get you back on the show. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll see you 20 a little later. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> there he goes, Glenn Stretch Smith uh, on his stretch marks. Oh, he's gone. Ed, I was enjoying seeing you know, Stretch on the Zoom. Okay, we'll get back into this real quick, though. During this time of social distancing, celebrating a Cowboys win with friends over a beer might look a little different. As the original light beer, Miller Lite has always been there to bring people together. Through Miller time, whether you're toasting with friends near or far, great taste is always close by. Jerry Jones has loved Miller Lite for so many years. Our old friend and colleague, Ed Warner, Randy Galloway has loved it forever, uh, dating back many, many years. Miller Lite is the only beer of the Dallas Cowboys. 30-year partnership with the team dating back to 1991 when the team was still at Texas Stadium, of course. During the 2020 season, Miller Lite celebrating 60 years of Cowboys greatness. Pick up special marked packaging, the Cowboys 60th anniversary imagery and logo at participating retailers. Celebrate responsibly, Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories, 
at 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. All right, Ed. Now that was, I mean, my goodness. See, you used to, you would be, I would, I would record stretch earlier, but it's fun to have all of us together there and you were able to get in some questions uh, to stretch. One thing you and I, we talked a little bit about with stretch, but you talked about McCarthy, just he seems to have everything he's doing is not really working, but they won. So, you know, I, it's almost like with a kid, Steve, you know, um, Ed, do you, do you, does winning reinforce some of these like negative things we've seen or does it somehow maybe, you know, give them the impetus to go, Oh my, when you win one, you don't deserve when you win one that you really, really deserve to lose. What does it do for a team psyche? And the, and the, the truth of it is, I don't know, but that's, that literally, we've been both been covering this team for a long time. That's as improbable of a win as really I can ever, as regular season that I can ever remember. Well, McCarthy said after the game that in any season that there are moments that you can build off of and that this was one of them, that the Cowboys found out a lot about themselves. And... I think that they're, they really haven't played, obviously, a complete game yet. And they're very fortunate that they were playing a team that wasn't very good today, especially a team that wasn't very good on defense. Uh, that's really what enabled them to, to overcome this. I mean, they're now 2-35 and 35 all time when trailing by 19 points at the half. And the last time they won a game like this was in 1983. So don't count on this happening except for once every two or three decades is what I would say. And this wasn't very good. And they're very fortunate that they're not 0-2. And when you're 0-2, you almost never make the playoffs. I think it's less than 10% uh, under the previous playoff format. There's an extra team, obviously, uh, from each conference that gets in this year. But if they don't play better than this, I mean, maybe nobody in the division is going to be any good. Saquon Barkley is probably done for the season for the Giants, who were probably never a factor. The Eagles lost at home. Uh, to the same Rams team that beat the Cowboys last week. So they're 0-2. So depending on what happens with the Washington football team, the Cowboys could, at the end of the day, be tied for first place going to Seattle next week. Um, But but they have to play a lot better than this. And I I think there there should be a lot of concern about how the bad parts of this game for them. Like four fumbles and three lost fumbles for the first time in 40 years in the opening quarter. I mean, we used to complain about – Garrett's team's being unprepared and playing poorly in the first quarter and then having to play from behind. Well, this was the epitome of that. Like, as badly as we thought Garrett's teams were and how poorly prepared they were to start games, this was that, that was nothing compared to what happened in this game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I, this feels like one of the weirdest experiences um, to win a game when you do so many things horribly and your coaches put you in strange positions. I mean, Ed, we didn't really specifically talk about it. On that fourth and five, they're down two scores. There's about that. How much left in the game at that point? 12, 13 minutes left in the game. And they do some kind of weird rugby. I mean, it's go to the up back and then just try to trudge forward and everybody gather. I mean, it looked like some kind of like 1930s football play. I mean, it's just kind of, I, I just thought it was kind of an embarrassing look that they, it was obviously it was it showed the desperation they're, they're just I mean it was just the, the the whole thing to not I mean it's embarrassing enough when you have a punter who literally can't throw the ball 10 yards out in the flat okay so they've already embarrassed themselves there and then they come three yard two at least two yards short on fourth and five on some kind of really non-deceptive type, you know, go for it punt. That was a really, that was, to me, that was a really uh, kind of embarrassing moment for the Cowboys. I just think they're very fortunate to go into week three and they, you know, obviously playing in Seattle is a difficult challenge, although one made easier by the fact that Seattle doesn't have a home crowd. Um, And so the Cowboys have won up there before uh, in hostile environments. And this will be, as good a chance as anybody ever has of going into Seattle uh, and winning a football game. But I just can't imagine what Russell Wilson's going to do to this defense. 
Um, you know, assuming he gets through tonight's game against the Patriots without an injury. Uh, look what they did against the Falcons. They blew the Falcons out. They dominated the Falcons. You know, they were, they were up two scores almost the entire game. And the Cowboys were down two scores the, almost the entire game against the same team. So uh, I, think, I think the Cowboys are going to be challenged to win up there. But uh, if you're going to play them, you want to play them without a crowd early in the season. So it's the best opportunity the Cowboys could hope for, I think. All right, and Ed, um, um, you know, you were out there. You were in the middle of it. Despite, by the way, Fox National got involved in trying to get me out to the uh, stadium. And, um, and obviously, my long – I work for one of the great affiliates in the history of uh, Cowboys football. But uh, it, I had a hard time getting in the stadium today, Ed. What was the, um, what was the uh, look of the crowd? The sound of the crowd. Give me, give me a little atmosphere from from what it was like. Did the was the crowd active for being such a small crowd? Uh, it was twenty one thousand people, nearly all of them booing the Cowboys off the field at halftime when they were down nineteen. Um, yeah, I didn't think they were a big factor in the game. I know Dak said going into the week that he thought it would make a significant difference, even though there was just going to be, you know, a partial crowd. And Jerry hopes obviously to grow that. Uh, assuming they have success at these levels, that they can begin to allow more people, given capacity is 90-some thousand. That's what the Cowboys average. The Cowboys average 90,000 uh, fans at home games, which is the highest percentage in the league by a huge number. Like the second-place team is the Jets uh, at 12,000 fewer than the Cowboys average. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I Up in the press box, it's hard to really gauge that because, you know, you're in kind of a soundproof area to a certain degree. Um, but I, I don't think the fans were a huge part uh, of anything. I, I think the players are in a, in a position where they have to create their own momentum. Um, and, and the Cowboys were able to do that with their, with their play on the field in the second half. All right. Um, we will uh, have another episode after the Seattle game. And uh, this was uh, – this was one of those uh, – it's one for the ages. They didn't deserve it, but they got it. They'll take it one and one. The best team in the NFC East, perhaps, which is just a dreadful little division, it seems. Uh, uh, Ed, I'll give you the final word. Anything you've, – you've got so many stats. I saw some sheets of paper that you had up there <laughs> uh, on camera a little while ago. Any other – were there any other numbers that jumped out at you or final, uh, a final thought you want to you share with our people? Well, I guess my final thought would be, and we're, we're talking about how fortunate they are that they won a game they should have lost. And the difference between one and one and zero oh and two is humongous in the NFL as it relates to playing in the postseason. And, you know, the last time the Cowboys were zero oh and two, they finished six and 10. And the only time Mike McCarthy's been 0-2 in his career was his first year in Green Bay, and that team went 8-8. So I think while obviously this, this was a very flawed performance uh, and it, it led to a historic outcome, um, the Cowboys are fortunate to be 1-1 one one because we'd be looking uh, at a much more negative scenario had they not been able to pull this off. All right, and uh, shout out to our buddy who can listen to us now, and uh, Frito, our longtime producer of the Doomsday Podcast, who is uh, doing a little bit better, still in very serious condition, but uh, uh, we'll do some uh, uh, rehab soon and really try to come back from this, and we'll see what the next steps are. But the good news is Frito is uh, communicating, and uh, he's done really well. Uh, he was having to uh, lean on a – uh, a ventilator uh, for a little bit while, and now he's not having to do that and uh, uh, as much at all. And so he's making some progress. He's communicating. Ed, he apparently, according to his brother Joel, who's done a great job, uh, he has asked about us. And uh, Frito wanted to know how we were doing and all that. So he's been playing some of our podcast and some of my radio show in the hospital room. But now Frito is uh, – He's able to do more and more things. He's communicating really well. So anyway, uh, shout out to him. Absolutely. And uh, look forward to uh, doing the Cowboys-Seattle game next week and a post-game podcast again. It'll be fun. Uh, Ed, great work by you. Appreciate you being out there representing 
doomsday. I hope you told everybody hello as you were social distancing. Great work also earlier today as I was texting you a bunch and while you were doing TV, you didn't bite my head off. Um, and I, I may have not been looking at the time to know what you were doing. But anyway, um, appreciate you. This is the Doomsday Podcast, and we will see you next week. Good night, everybody. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.